You're listening to the New Stack Makers, a podcast made for people who develop, deploy, and manage at scale software. For more conversations and articles, go to thenewstack.io. All right, now on with the show. Redis provides a competitive edge to any business by delivering open source and enterprise-grade data platforms to power applications that drive real-time experiences at any scale. Developers rely on Redis to build performance, scalability, reliability, and security into their applications. Hello to you, and welcome to another fantastic TNS Makers podcast with the new stack. I'm Daryl Taft, news editor of the new stack, and our goal is to continue to inform you about the hottest developer issues of the day. Today's episode covers databases, and our special guests are Tim Hall, Chief Product Officer at Redis. Hey, Daryl. How you doing? And our other guest is Elaine Russell, CEO of Black Pepper, a Redis client. Hey, Daryl. Nice to meet you. Same here. So... I'd like to get like a summary of um, what you guys do, you know, what, what, what's Redis offering and Elaine, what is uh, Black Pepper all about? Yeah, we're a Redis client. I'll let Tim cover what, what Redis does, but we, we're an e-com agency. So we're based in New Zealand. We service the New Zealand Australian market and work with predominantly traditional retailers and help them in their omni-channel journey. So yeah, we've been around... About 20 years, so we're quite old in internet years, and team of about 50 at the moment, but focused 100% on e-commerce. That's that's essentially our focus. And then uh, on the Redis side, yeah, Redis is an in-memory database. We're a memory-first database, which means data lands there. People are using us for both caching and persistence these days. We have a number of flexible data models. One of the brand promises of Redis is developers can store the data as they're working with it. So as opposed to, say, a uh, SQL database where you, you might have to turn your data structures into uh, columns and tables, you can actually store the data structures that you're working with directly into Redis. So whether that's a session, a sorted set, a hash, JSON documents, and more, we provide that flexibility. There's three modes you can get Redis in. Uh, we have an open source piece of software, download it, run on your laptop. Uh, Redis Stack is what we're recommending that developers start with today. And then there's Enterprise Edition that's available as software or in the cloud. And it's the most popular NoSQL database on the planet, six years running. People love it because of its simplicity, the ease at which developers can understand how to take advantage of it, its scale, it's fast, super fast, and frankly, it's reliability. So that's 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 Redis in a nutshell. What's the Redis stack? What's in there? So if we parse this down a little bit, so Redis was actually launched about a decade ago as a sort of standalone open source project. And over the years, as, as we've tried to extend and add uh, additional capabilities to it, those ended up being constructed as sort of add-on modules and other pieces. And you know, if you go back and you look at the manifesto for Redis, it talks about things like abhorring complexity. And so to fulfill that for a developer, it felt awkward to say, go grab Redis open stores. And oh, by the way, if you wanted to do these other things, then you also have to grab this piece, grab that piece, put it all together. So what we did in March of this year, 2022, is we packaged up all of the extended capabilities um, that we built over the years, along with a, a companion app called Redis Insight 
which is a desktop developer's tool for debugging and understanding how your application is working with Redis. And we packaged it into one easy to use bundle called Redis Stack. And so if you're a purist, an open source purist, and, and you've used Redis for, for 10 years, I imagine you're probably still using the either the open source or you've upgraded to our commercial model. But if you're a developer getting started today, or if you're interested in um, taking advantage of some of those new capabilities, Stack's your starting point today. So most people know Redis as an open source cache. Can you describe how Redis has evolved and where you're seeing Redis applied today? For instance, we 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 got a story from KubeCon about how Redis is not just a cache that can be used as a data projection API. I don't know if you saw that, but it got a lot of lot of interest. Yeah, about forty percent of our customers today are using us as a primary database technology, and that's that may surprise some people. Again, if you're a sort of classic Redis user and you and you knew us from in-memory caching, you probably didn't realize we added uh, a variety of mechanisms for persistence. Uh, over the years. And so, yeah, that's that's the first thing is you can actually set up Redis now to store the data and it does um, store it on disk sort of behind the scenes while keeping a, a copy in memory. Um, and then so if there's any sort of failures and those sorts of things, we can recover the data off of disk and and replay it into memory and, and get you back up and running. So that's, you know, that's a mechanism that's been around for, well, I don't know, half a decade now. But, you know, it's kind of a long game to convince people of something new sometimes, particularly when, you know, they all have day jobs and uh, are solving other problems. And, you know, Elaine, I don't know how frequently you're reading our blog. You know, uh, I'm sure you're not reading it on a weekly or daily basis. You may have your account team helping you point out the new things that are coming. But you know, so it's a little bit of a long game, Daryl, I have to say, in terms of continuing to reach out to developers and, and showing them what the latest capabilities are. But yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that you see out of the, out of the top sort of 10 databases on the planet, right, if you were go to look at all of them, they've all moved into the multi-model category. And Redis is no different from that perspective. So if you look at Oracle, it was traditionally a relational database. Mongo was traditionally a JSON document store only. And obviously, Redis is a key value store. We've all moved down down the field. Now, now, why would we do that? We're all looking to simplify the developer's world, right? Why should you have a unique data platform for each type of data that you're working with? It creates a lot of complexity, both for the developer to figure out which ones they're going to connect to, as well as the operator having to install, run, and maintain all those different pieces. And so each vendor is really trying to leverage you know, what I would say is their core differentiation and expand out from there. And the good news for Redis is speed is our core differentiation. And so why would you want a slow data platform, right? You don't. So the more that we can offer those extended capabilities for working with things like JSON, or we just launched a data structure called T-Digest that people can use. And we've had support for Bloom Filter, which is a probabilistic data structure. Like all of these things, as we kind of expand our footprint, we're saying, if you need speed, and reducing latency and having high interactivity as your goal, Redis should be your starting point. If you want some esoteric edge case functionality where you need to manipulate JSON in some very strange way, you probably should go with Mongo. Like I probably won't support that for, for a long time, right? But if you're just working with the basic data structures, you need to be able to query, you need to be able to update your JSON document those straightforward use cases we support very, very well, and we support them at speed and scale. Yeah, I think from from our perspective too, this the speed was certainly our starting point. So we we were Redis customers, and I can talk about how because we've gone through the same transition, right? So we started off as a Redis as a cache. It helps us speed up 
traditional data that was slower than we wanted it. And then we, we went down a, a cloud path a couple of years ago. So for us, we've been down a cloud migration. We've moved out of local data centers that we were using and hardware that we own. And part of that migration included us becoming, you know, what's deemed as cloud native. And we started using all of these different data stores and data structures and dealing with all of them is actually complicated, you know, and from a developer perspective, it's, it can be a bit painful. So, you know, when we started looking for how to make our world simpler, but also keep it very, very fast, we looked at the Redis stack and, and honestly, it, it filled all of our needs in, in one platform. And, and we're kind of in this path at the moment where we're using the basics of it and we're very early on in our journey, right? Like we're not, we're not right the way down. We're still learning how things work and how to use it properly. But we also have a big list of things that we're using other data stores for, traditional data, and working out, okay, this will be something that we will migrate to, you know, because we use persistent heavily now in Redis. And we're not, we're using persistent data, but we're not using it as, a, as our primary data. So we, the issue we obviously have is, you know, we've got legacy code. Everyone has legacy code that they're dealing with. So we still have that traditional relationship relational data that we need to access in from lots of different places and rewriting that for us isn't feasible to do it in one go but we can do a chunk at a time and the chunks that we're doing are the ones we're having performance issues with and that's working really really well for us on that the journey that we're on okay thanks i think that answered about two or three of my other questions but i appreciate it <laughs> happy to expand on them though no problem <laughs> Back to Tim, you mentioned something called T-Digest. What, what is that? Yeah, so T-Digest, it's a technical name for a data structure type for how the data is organized and stored, right? And, and people use it for a wide variety of reasons. I know at my previous company, we actually used T-Digest to compare data on disk in two different locations to see whether or not, rather than trying to compare line by line by line, record by record, when you're dealing with millions and billions of data points, potentially what you want is a sort of summary that gives you a rough sketch of, of the data that you've got. And T-Digest is a type of data structure where you can sketch it out and store that sketch, and then you want to retrieve it and do comparisons. And it's quicker than trying to, you know, say, you know, retrieve every single data point or summarize every single data point and get a discrete answer, if you will. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the rough description. I wanted to ask you about how do you manage the open source project versus the commercial offering? How do you, how do you deal with that and what goes in? Yep. So that's a great question, by the way. This is my uh, third open source company that I've run products for. So uh, previously I was at Hortonworks uh, as part of the Hadoop ecosystem and, and worked on a lot of different Apache projects in terms of understanding how that worked. And then previously I was uh, head of products at Influx Data, the time series uh, data platform company, and now at Redis. And uh, here's what I can tell you. Uh, not every open source company is the same, right? In terms of how you make decisions about what lands in your commercial offering, what lands in open source, where the contributions come from, who's involved. You know, if I go back to the days of, of Hortonworks, you know, the Apache Software Foundation is a large meritocracy. And so, you know, you're you're constantly interacting with folks from different organizations and and that have different opinions about the direction in which individual components should go. You as a product manager then, or maybe the head of products is looking at how do those contributions sort of aggregate into the thing that you're trying to put in the market and how you differentiate against others. And that can be that can be a real challenge, frankly. 
you know, in the Hadoop ecosystem, there were two models. Hortonworks was was 100% open source. Everything was available. Everything was an Apache Software Foundation project. And then their competitor at the time, and by the way, those companies have merged, uh, was Cloudera. And Cloudera had a, a closed source model where, where the bulk of their platform was open source, but then they had some closed source commercial pieces that they built on top. Um, and so that's a way to differentiate. And Influx, uh, every committer, meaning every person that was allowed to write code and commit it to the core platform was badged, was an Influx data badged employee. And while we accepted contributions under the MIT license and the, and the uh, contributor license agreement that's associated with the uh, Influx DB and Telegraph and the other projects that they had, they were all reviewed by other developers, obviously, and we reviewed them for commercial interest. So if there was something that somebody wanted to contribute that was going to go against our, our commercial interest, we probably not, would not merge that. Now, they're, they're of course, uh, have the project and apply that commit uh, to their own fork, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we were going to accept it. Um, now, Redis was run uh, by Salvatore Sanfilippo for many, many years, and he was this, the sole arbiter of what landed and what did not land in, in Redis itself. And what we've done over the last couple of years is we have a core steering committee. It's made up of uh, one individual from AWS, one individual from Alibaba, and uh, three Redis employees who look after the contributions that are coming in from our, our open source community members who want to contribute those things. And then we reconcile, A, what we want from a commercial interest perspective, either upstream or things that, you know, frankly, may have been commoditized and that we want to push downstream into the open source offering. And so the thing that you're asking about is sort of my core and existential challenge all the time is figuring out where we're going from a commercial perspective. What do we want to land there first? And how can we create a conveyor belt of, you know, commercial opportunity that keeps us in business as a software company, creating differentiation against potential competitors that show up. And then over time, making sure that those things that do become commoditized or maybe are not as differentiating anymore, I want, I want to release those to the open source community. But it is a, uh, you know, this upstream downstream kind of challenge is, uh, is something that we're constantly working through. For Elaine, from your perspective, what's the value of a commercial vendor like Redis? What do they provide on top of a popular open source project, do you see? I think for us, like one of the one of the big decisions that we we wanted to go through in our cloud journey was we we don't want to run anything, right? So that that's the benefit. Infinite scale, but also managed services. From a from a Redis perspective, we just have to worry about the development side and accessing our data and dealing with it at that point. What we don't need to do is worry about servers and scaling and sharding and all of the things that we actually don't really want to have anything to do with. You know, the other huge benefits in a in a world where we need everything to be real time and we need to have answers really quickly is we have a support team with Redis on Slack at the moment. We have conversations with them as we have things that come up and they essentially can give us answers pretty quick. So you know, often when we're hitting a roadblock or we don't understand how to do something or we're looking for guidance on the best way to do it, you know, the people that we're dealing with, they are all ex, well, the, the people that we deal with anyway, are all ex Redis users from different companies, you know. So we've got a, a great technical account manager at the moment at Redis who actually worked at an e-com company doing search and personalization, which for us is a, a resource that, you know, we've, we've happened across and it's great that 
that she's around, but it's a, it's a perfect resource for us to tap into and say, Hey, here's some things that we're trying to understand or what we're trying to do with search or with personalization. Can you help? And that can be, you know, off the, off the record comments, which are really useful for us, or it can be white papers or, you know, links to documentation, you know, and, and I think that for us is probably the one of the main benefits and the fact that we have a, you know, a set of databases that we have available, they're just there. We don't have to worry about what goes on with them in the background. So, they, yeah, they're essentially fully managed for us, which which I think in a cloud world is exactly the same as us using, you know, managed RDS or managed Dynamo. It's just we just want to worry about the deep side of what we're doing. So I'm interested in your perspective of Redis as a customer and how did you decide to use Redis? Yeah, cool. Uh, this one's an easy one. So we, I think I, I touched before, so we, we were an open source Redis customer, right? So we, we started a journey where we used Memcache to speed up data. We migrated to Redis when we went into AWS Cloud and we use Elasticache Redis instances. In our world, we abstracted that away in our econ platform to be basically a, you know, set a cache value, get a cache value. So we weren't using a lot of the extra data structures that, that are available. And we essentially, it, and during COVID, I guess, we, we started running into scaling problems. So we had issues with writing predominantly. So ecom, you know, as a technology that you're trying to run, is very, very write-heavy. You know, we're dealing with wish lists and people adding to carts and data changing all the time. And we, we kind of run into problems where you're, you're essentially scaling your databases to handle that right, but it's costing a fortune. Like, and that's the reality is it costs a lot to scale for writing in the cloud world. So we started looking for different options to handle partly that right scale problem that we had. And we were also running into a problem where we, we basically, the data structure that we're dealing with in a product world was getting more complex. And the way that our customers wanted to be able to define, you know, how a product shows on the site, where it shows the data points that we have on it, we're getting more and more complex. And in a kind of relational database world, that was getting very hard for us to get the data out quick enough. So we kind of went down a journey where we looked at all the different options and we looked at, you know, no SQL options. We looked at Dynamo. We, we played around with Elastic. We tried to get MySQL JSON working for us. And they all kind of worked, but they were just as slow as our traditional data that we were playing with. Like we weren't actually getting the data fast enough. And we're, we're performance obsessed as a team. So our dev team are absolutely performance obsessed about trying to get the data out of our back end. We set ourselves a target of being able to get something back in under 100 milliseconds. So we, we are basically trying to get data out as fast as we can. And the, the beauty we had when we started testing Redis was we, and we have some great, I'll cover some real world examples. We live in a world where everything's measured in crazy, crazy fast. So we, you know, we see data that we traditionally would take, you know, five, 10 seconds to generate in a relational SQL query. And we, we get that information now in a millisecond. And that's just, purely based around the complexity and trying to deal with, you know, how customers are trying to find information and link that data up. So this is all backing process that we had running. For us, it's how we categorize sites and how things show. And that that has all essentially become real time. And the benefit for us in that is we're starting to now change all of our UI because we can show that data and we can show feedback to a customer as they're basically typing. So as a customer is creating you know, collections or products or categories in a site, 
they can be adding search criteria and we can essentially tell them in real time what that's going to look like. Whereas in a traditional world, you would do it, you would save it, we'd queue something up and we'd, you know, we'd know eventually in a few seconds what it was going to look like, but that may be too late. So it's given us, like, it's given us a real different kind of approach now and how we're looking at everything because we can say, actually, we can give you that in real time and we can do it instantly in feedback in the UI as you're playing around with different options. Yeah, and, and I think that's where we ended up, is it, it was the only thing that could give us the data as fast as we wanted. Was there any impact on the legacy systems, and have you moved on from those? I think what I was saying, so we, we still have legacy code that we're dealing with. Like the transition for us is uh, we're starting on our journey. We're starting to now use, you know, hashes and sorted sets, and TGIG actually sounds really interesting. We already have a use case for it probably that we were trying to solve the other day. So we are starting to use all the different things. What we're basically doing with it is is trying to move parts of our logic across. So if you think about a product data set on a site, so we may have a site that has 20,000 products. It's easy enough for us to move that into Redis and start using, and we use Redis JSON for that. So we use JSON and indexing. So we can move all of that into Redis and start changing parts of our front-end and back-end stack to reference that data directly. What we can't do is get rid of the legacy data store because we still have another 60, 70% of our stack that is expecting that data to be in a traditional SQL database. So we're, we're basically working on a kind of a two different ways of accessing the data, but anything that is a performance issue for us or is new is now starting to access, you know, the JSON directly. Yeah, it's, it makes a life pretty simple for us moving forward because we handle the, the writing into two places as the data we ingest it. Um, and then we know that everything is in one place. And it, it, I mean, it's powering our search now. So a lot of our search is, is using Redis and we're building some tuning tools for customers that, that will basically allow them to run different options and things. But yeah, that, that data structure for us is available. We use it for all of our shopping cart tech now. So essentially Redis is handling all of our shopping carts and that is the only store of that. So we're persistently writing that and it's the only place that we, we have it currently. You mentioned JSON. I wanted to get into that a bit. Uh, for Tim, why is Redis a fit for search and JSON use cases? You know, they're purpose-built search engines and JSON databases. How does Redis approach these markets? Yeah, well, I think I think Elaine said it best. <laughs> if performance and, and eliminating latency is the name of the game, then you should probably look at Redis as the starting point for that. Um, yes, there are lots of search tech and other tech that's out there. And there certainly are use cases, right, where you may want to use those. But if reducing that latency, it's like, and Elaine, you can, you can tell me where I get, get off the, the track here. But like, when you have an e-commerce use case, you want that user engaged with the experience in real time. Because anytime that it starts to slow down, what do you think they're going to do? they're going to bail and go somewhere else. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> right? That, so that interactivity is the thing that keeps them engaged. And and whether it's type ahead, whether it's recommendations being generated based on what they've typed, whether it's, uh, you know, other types of suggestions and, and things that you can do, it's that interactivity that keeps the user engaged, right? And so, you know, we feel like, 
again, if if you're working with JSON as a data structure, you know, the challenge with that is you could reference the document itself, right, as a particular key. And so, you know, previously what people were doing with Redis is, is uh, developers were like, well, I need the speed of JSON, but since Redis did not support JSON documents uh, until, you know, relatively recently, they would convert them into strings, stuff them into Redis, <laughs> and then pull them back out, reconvert them back to JSON, and then do the work on top Guilty. of them. And I, yeah. <laughs> I, I cringe at even tell, yeah, yeah, at even telling that story because you know, frankly, it doesn't fulfill the brand promise of Redis, which is I want the developer to be able to work with that document, you know, without those string conversions back and forth. And so we added that capability. The challenge is that now because it's a document, right? And it has a structure to it. There may be nodes in that document that you want to index and that you would like to create a query experience on top of, right? You may want to string pieces of data together. We've got some customers who are storing, they're using it almost as a, as a data fabric. I know this is going to sound very strange or a data mesh where they've grown through acquisition and they're like, how, do, how am I going to present a single unified interface to my end customer and they may be customer of all of these different acquisitions that we've now pulled together. I can't rewrite those systems quickly. What I can do is give them a presentation layer that will take advantage of the fact that their data resides in all these other systems, but publish it into Redis as that as a JSON data structure. Make the customer identifier, you know, either common or key across them. And then when that customer shows up, pull all that data for them and present it to them quickly leave those existing systems in place, just as uh, Elaine was saying, like, you're going to have to, there's other things that rely on that data. But what you can do is you can evolve the front them with an experience that is interactive, provides them access to their data, and uh, it keeps them engaged with you. And so I think both the query capability that we added on top of Redis, so it's not just key value anymore, this idea of secondary indexing um, on top of either hashes or JSON documents is super powerful for people to take advantage of to obtain that that real-time speed and reduce latency. So to me, I think it's a it's a huge win getting, you know, folks like Elaine and, and the Black Pepper team to talk more about it and how it's worked for them as part of some awareness that we need to continue to do to show people they can be successful with that and that we've we love caching and, and we're caching and beyond. I think actually just to add, add to that, so for us one of the big things about JSON is we can write JSON, right? So we we write JSON directly to Redis. What we find really, really powerful is the fact that we can change indexes and change our full-text searching on the fly. We can add an index, and again, I don't understand the physics behind it, but it's instant. So we can add an index, it's there instantly, and we can query it. it and it doesn't seem to be affected by the size of the JSON we're storing or how many objects we're storing there. So it gives our development team a really quick way to test things and try to get things working without having to re-index and restore data and work through, okay, now we have to send that JSON differently because we want to do something different with it. The beauty about the way that Redis full text works is we essentially can change those indexes and change those queries, and it's the same data in the background. We've stored it once. We don't have to do anything more with it. And we're just touching the surface of it, but, yeah, the, the power that we get from that and the ability to try things quickly, yeah, making a huge difference for us. Yeah, and that's a really different experience than than other sort of purpose-built full-text search engines where they're not they're not tuned to the developer experience. They're tuned to I'm dealing with, you know, hundreds of pages of PDFs and other kinds of documents, right? It's not they were built to solve a different kind of problem. 
And I would say Redis is, is well suited to the kinds of problems uh, Elaine and his team are, are are trying to solve, which is, it's a win. Like, but yeah, you don't, there, there still is a horses for courses kind of uh, argument to be made. Like, I'm not saying like you should replace every possible full text search use case with Redis. I, I, that would be both naive and, and a, and a huge overreach. But in the in the kinds of environments and the kinds of use cases, I think that Elena team are, are are finding themselves in seems like a great fit. Yeah, good stuff. So, for Tim, can you give some examples of where you see um, the greatest interest in Redis for search, and how strategic is Redis search? So, our our query and, and searching capabilities are are actually fundamental to where we're going. I think it's a super powerful. Uh, engine. I think. I think the the explanation stands on its own. I think the things I need to do for for Elaine and team is to make it simpler. So we know that people are having to do right behind use cases, and but he's having to do that pretty much on his own. I'm assuming today. So we're going to introduce a set of data integration capabilities to support right behind, so that you can keep Redis in front. But because you have to keep some of those other legacy systems alive or there's lower latency or slower use cases that you need to support that you that you may not need the data in Redis, I want to provide a, a separate persistence mechanism to allow you to write behind to Mongo or whomever else you want to have behind the scenes or a MySQL, et cetera. So we'll make sure to, to, to brief you on that. We're also looking at the reverse, which is a lot of those systems today also support what's called change data capture. And change data capture is essentially a log of what updates are, are hitting the underlying database. We want to be able to take the change data capture log and turn it into um, Redis data structures that you can access the other way. And so that's a that's all part of our sort of data integration set of capabilities that we're working on now. The plan is to get to public preview of some of those capabilities early in uh, 2023. And so stay tuned to, to see where we're going. But what you're getting at is... You know, JSON being a, a first-class data structure, a query capability being a first-class engine that works in real time and speed. And now what else can we do to extend that into the future as we're looking at supporting exactly the kinds of environments that Elaine and the team are running into, make it easier for them to deploy with, with less technology. That sounds good. Yeah, we're almost at time and I haven't even gotten to half of my questions. So can can we do a lightning round of sorts? Sure. One thing for Tim, what does the acquisition of resp.app or however you pronounce it bring to Redis? Yeah. So this is our second acquisition of uh, developer tools. And, and we are eager to consolidate what's gone on in the sort of developer and open source ecosystem related to assistive tools for debugging and understanding how applications are working with Redis. We actually acquired the assets related to RDB tools. We're building Redis Insights and and now Resp.app, not only the assets, but the core developer behind it's joined our team. And what we're trying to do is drive a single consolidated developer experience as a companion app to your IDE that helps you understand what's going on inside of Redis as you as you build your apps. And we're super pumped about that acquisition and, and what it brings to us, not only from a, an entrepreneur that was sort of living in the space and trying to drive, drive a, uh, the best developer um, experience, but we want that experience to be free and uh, available to all developers so that they can feel powerful when they build solutions on top of the platform. Who are some of your key competitors and how does Redis measure up against them? I'd say that the biggest thing from my perspective is folks that are taking our open source and deploying it as a managed service within their environments. So 
And the biggest one that I can think of just comes to mind would be AWS. And I think the thing that hurts me a little bit is that there's a lot of confusion out there about AWS services not being Redis, right? So people say, oh, I'm using Redis, I'm using Redis. And it's like, well, what are you using? And they say, I'm using Elasticash. And I'm like, well, that's that's effectively their fork of Redis open source. But when you look at the investments we've made to build up from open source to Redis Enterprise as our commercial offering, there's a lot of stuff they don't do. But that equation, right, where people are saying this equals that is a, is a challenge for us because it's not the same. And we're, we're finding customers, certainly as they go on their journey from the beginning of, hey, I'm in AWS, so I might as well just check all the boxes and use all their services because it looks like X, Y, and Z, but it's a lot of assembly required. It's kind of the Christmas day scenario. You open the box and you spend the rest of the day assembling all the parts. The challenge is as they scale, you may not get the best operational experience. And I think to Elaine's point, like uh, good luck when you contact them for support about what's going on. They have no clue about the innards and, and you know, you're, when you come with us and you, and you, and you use Redis Enterprise, you're going to get the best of what we have to offer for companies that are deploying and you're going to get the best support experience. I can tell you our, our support team's amazing. They're, they're still teaching me things about the product, frankly, and they're, they're second to none in terms of um, supporting our customers and making sure that those questions get answered and, and our customers can be successful. Just a couple more. What is Redis doing about adding AI ML to the platform? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. That's a very interesting question. So there's a couple of capabilities that we started adding. The first is we've been communicating about a core use case, which may not surprise you, about online feature store. So an online feature store effectively for ML models means you have fast access to the underlying data that you're trying to model against. It's a caching use case, <laughs> effectively. So that's in our sweet spot, right? And then uh, what we've been seeing also is that people are starting to use more and more sort of semi-structured data as part of their machine learning models. And so uh, one of the capabilities that we're adding to our search engine is vector similarity search. And so what that what does that mean? It sounds like a bunch of techno mumbo jumbo, but um, essentially you can take uh, images and you can turn them into vectors, which is a you know, sort of stream of numbers and then you can use math to compare those vectors to each other. And so you can do things like, hey, I have a red shirt, a blue shirt, and a green shirt. And when somebody wants to come in and say, well, you know, I want to look at shirts of, you know, different sizes and shapes and things, you, the vectors will actually give them information that can be searched upon that can allow them to pull those images back and present them extraordinarily quickly. So that's a capability that we're adding to support, again, folks that are doing recommendation engines, machine learning activities, and AI extensions. And so, yeah, so those are two of the things. And then our team is also looking at kind of what's going on with the AI and ML pipelines and where we might show up and integrate more naturally with uh, uh, with folks. And I think we're finding some, some areas where there are certain data structures we don't currently support, but we might want to to make that easier. But I can tell you, yeah, for sure, the uh, we've had a couple of folks uh, recently, iFood, down in South America was talking about their success with the online feature store capabilities of, of Redis. And we're going to look to continue to extend in that direction. One last quick one I want to sneak in is what can we expect to see from Redis in the next year? And for Elaine, uh, what are some of the things you'd like to see? Yeah, I can probably start actually. It's, I guess the, the thing for us is Redis are reiterating faster than we can adopt at the moment. 
So that's the only thing that we can ask for. So we, we don't want to ever be in a position where we're waiting for things we would find useful. So currently the, the rate that new functionality is coming out is faster than we can make use of it, which is a great position to be in for us. I've got, I've actually got papers on all the vector similarity stuff because, you know, for, for e-com, these products look like those products is a really interesting use case um, for personalization and search. So, you know, we've, we've certainly got a lot on our roadmap that we're going to be taking a look at next year. But, yeah, all we can ask for is, a, is that functionality is, is arriving faster than we can use it. I'm going to make sure the engineers hear that because they love to do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's four key things Daryl and I'm, I'm uh, working with my team are on. One is we want to continue to activate features and capabilities in the cloud as quickly as possible. And there are some gaps there today where we have features available in software that you can't currently consume in our cloud service. And I'd like to eliminate those those gaps, if you will, right? There's definitely people taking advantage of those capabilities in software. And, and just like Alain was saying is that they're like, okay, well, maybe I've reached a point where I don't want to manage this anymore. I want to focus on the dev side. Cloud has reached a level of maturity where I just want to consume it as a service. And then they're like, I can't move yet because you guys haven't activated this feature. So I'd say that's that's a key for me. The second thing from a developer experience perspective and particularly around programmability is we're going to introduce uh, triggered functions that are based on a JavaScript engine. And when I do that, I want to have that available both in software and again in cloud. And the triggers can be three things. Uh, We're going to start with event-based triggers. So when a, key, a particular key is accessed or something happens to that, you can trigger an action to be taken take place. I want you to be able to invoke those functions server-side through a you know named reference, let's say. And then the last one is scheduled. I'd like you to be able to schedule a, a triggered function to take place. And we'll start with we'll start with events, and we're going to start with uh, direct invocation, and then and then the scheduled piece will come later. But I have a bunch of people who today are saying, "Listen, um, you know, I've got this JSON data, data structure, let's say, and I want to take an action when an update actually occurs. But but in order for me to do that today, I have to drag all the data out of Redis into my client application, make the manipulations, and then send it all back. And they're like, I don't I don't need to do that." And so that's that's one of the areas from a developer experience perspective that I want to land again in software and in cloud. Um, you'll see the advancement of uh, Redis Insight in that developer experience um, to take the the lessons that uh, we've we've gained by having the resp.app team join us and what they've done. So you'll see the companion tools advance. Data integration we talked about, both the CDC capability and the uh, right right behind and right through. Um, and then last but not least, you'll see us accelerate on uh, on Redis Enterprise. So Redis Open Source 7 has been out for a while, but you know, frankly, there hasn't been any major compelling feature for us to add to Redis Enterprise 7.0. And so um, that opens up a little bit of a head scratcher where people are like, well, where's the 7.0 version? You know, I'm glad that at least Elaine and team are happy with <laughs> the pace of innovation. Where I'm looking ahead is is what can we add to Redis uh, Enterprise 7.2 that people need, want, and desire? Um, that's a compel that's a compelling step forward. And then we'll pull those uh, those Redis 7 open source uh, capabilities forward as well. So I would say in the new year, those are the four areas. It's advancement on Redis Enterprise, the data integration capabilities, our, our programmability and developer experience advancements, and then um, making sure that you can do everything in cloud that you can do in software. That's about as lightning as I can make it, Daryl. That's good, man. I love it. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I want to thank the audience, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to another dynamic conversation with the new stack. 
As always, we appreciate your support and feedback. Redis provides a competitive edge to any business by delivering open source and enterprise grade data platforms to power applications that drive real-time experiences at any scale. Developers rely on Redis to build performance, scalability, reliability, and security into their applications. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community, and we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube. Search for The New Stack, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon. Thank you.